Merry Christmas. We live in a world where Christmas has become so many things except the main thing. And hopefully us in this building today, the Church of Jesus Christ, we believe it is about one name and that is the name of Jesus. You know what makes me sad and mad at the same time is when I say Merry Christmas and somebody says Happy Holidays, especially on purpose. So recently I was walking into a store and somebody was ding-a-linging and they said, uh, happy holidays. And I said, well, Merry Christmas. They said, well, happy holidays. And I said, well, Merry Christmas to you too. <clears throat> I read a headline from Australia that said this, a doctor is bombarded with abuse for excluding Muslims by wishing his followers Merry Christmas instead of happy holidays. Another news article I read was titled this, please don't wish me Merry Christmas. A Lyft driver said, this is what they are told by passengers they give rides to. I think of the numerous stories over the past several years of people so upset because there's a manger scene on a courthouse lawn. Or even just this week, I, I saw numerous articles of a Christian person that a lot of us follow named Kirk Cameron, pretty strong, outspoken Christian. And he come out with a new Christian book, and they, he said over 50 libraries said they weren't going to read his book at these libraries for reading time to kids. He was denied by all those libraries, but the same libraries said that they were going to be having uh, drag queen events where they were going to be reading these other books. And you can read all this and, and see all this, and it's easy to say, what in the world is going on? H how could this happen? How could this be the world? How could this be the United States that we're living in? But then I'm reminded that we should not be surprised by these things, that we should not be surprised that there probably is, in the world we live in, a war on Christmas. And John talks about this. And John, eight, John 15, starting in verse 18, turn with me this morning. Starting in verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me, Jesus, first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why this world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. They will treat you this way because of my name. For they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in the law. They hated me without reason. 
Jesus said that this world hated him first. And if we are his followers, and we're going to be honest and real with ourselves this morning, they will likely hate us as well. Not just us for us, but because of who is in us, because of the God that we follow, because of the word that we stand upon. But he says we don't belong to this world because we follow this world, this word. We're going to live contrary to how this world lives. And he has chosen us out of this world. That is why the world hates us. We have just been blessed for many years to live in a nation that was on Christian principles and morals, but that has quickly changed. And now this culture wants to take Christ out of Christmas. They are missing the greatest gift that they have ever been given. Let me say that again. It's heartbreaking because the world does not see that they are missing in this season the greatest gift that they, that we have ever been given. Now I admit, when it comes to this time of the year, I'm a little bit of a Scrooge when it comes to Christmas. I get that from my dad, just so you know. There are certain things that I would take out of Christmas as well. I'm not going to lie, I get tired of all the Christmas music. I'm not a big turn and listen to a bunch of Christmas music, if I'm even really honest. During this time of the year, it's not my favorite thing to play Christmas music like worship songs that we do, but I do what I can because I know everybody loves them. But I think eggnog's nasty. I think custard is just bleh. Fruitcake, no thank you. Could choke on it. Hallmark movies, I'll just sit there and watch my wife smiling and I'll just giggle because the first two minutes of the Hallmark movie, I know what's going to happen for the whole movie. <laughs> Nicholasville Road Traffic. That makes you want to speak in tongues. <laughs> the mall, no thank you. But on a serious note, on a serious note, I would love to be able to take the grief revealed in an empty chair at the Christmas table out of Christmas. The one who is not here this Christmas. Many of you in this room are dealing with that. You are dealing with the loss we face of living in a broken world. Will did a class several weeks ago called Surviving the Holidays. And that's the truth for many. You just want to make it through because this time of year is hard because someone is not there. And I would love to be able to take that out of Christmas. I would love to be able to take all the sins that have contributed to the family breakdown out of Christmas, the family that is now split this Christmas, the, the kids that have to spend Christmas with mom and not dad or dad with, without mom. I would love to be able to take all that away, to take those that are on the streets this Christmas, those that don't have a meal this Christmas, those that are battling with addiction this Christmas. I would love to be able to take the materialism out of Christmas. I hate that this year, this time of year, has become about stuff and more stuff 
and money and people running up credit cards. Why? For more stuff. Kids telling Santa what they want. Long list of things we want. The perfect gift, the perfect present. I want, I want, I want. When church, it's not about a present. And I understand there's nothing wrong with all that in its place. But church, it is not about a present. This is in your notes. It's about his presence. It's not about a present and the materialism that this world says it's about. And if, if spending's up and shoppers and consumers are spending all this money and things are going great, it's, that's not what it's about. And the presents that are bought. But church, it is about his presence, Emmanuel. So yes, there are some things I would take out of Christmas. Some things we need less of. But I would never take the true gift that we have been given out of Christmas. Why would anyone want to take Christ out of Christmas? His resurrection, it fills that empty chair with hope for the grieving this Christmas. His death on the cross offers forgiveness for sins and a fresh start for everyone, a gift. His grace is undeserved and removes insecurities. He gives us a gift. And when this gift is received, it takes materialism out of Christmas and puts back the gift that brings gratitude. These are gifts that we don't deserve. But God desires for us to have. These, these gifts come with an extended warranty into eternity. You don't have to find a deal on them on Black Friday or Cyber Monday, waiting a long line at the store. These gifts have been given to us. And it's more satisfying than anything else we will receive. And if we're going to be honest, most gifts that are given and most gifts that are received for Christmas will be forgot about in weeks, if not days. But this gift that has been given us, it is from the one who created all things. The one who defeated death. Emmanuel, God with us. The one who saves us from our sin. Christ, the king who rules. And that is a gift. God with us, God for us, the God who is in control, the supreme gift. And the truth is this morning, that not a lot has changed. They wanted to take Christ out of Christmas some 2,000 years ago. Why? Herod feared a threat to his rule. Historians tell us that King Herod, or as he liked to be called Herod the Great, was a cruel, power-hungry ruler who destroyed anyone. He destroyed anyone he feared was trying to topple him from his throne. He even killed several members of his own family because he thought they were plotting against him. And today we must not forget that God is faithful, that God is unstoppable, and God's plan will always prevail. 
And we'll see that is what Herod tried to do cannot stop the plan of God. Because if you try to stop his plan, you will find yourself in a losing battle. Matthew 16, 18 says this. This talks about God's unstoppable plan. I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Herod was going to do all he could to stop God's plan. But we serve an unstoppable God. Herod wanted to take Christ out of Christmas. But God's plan was unstoppable. Turn with me this morning as we read this whole story. Matthew 2, starting in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born? King of the Jews. We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened the treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for this child to kill him. So he got up and took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, when he, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. 
Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Verse 19, after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea, in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. If we go back to verse 7 of that scripture we just read, we can see that Herod, that King Herod was a liar. And here's why he's a liar. It says this, Herod called the Magi secretly and found out the exact time the star had appeared. And verse 8 says this, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and what? Worship him. Now, do you think King Herod wants to go and worship Jesus? No. He doesn't want to worship him. His real goal is to destroy this child. Fearing illogically that in time Jesus would take over his throne. He's, he's, he's feeling intimidated. He wants to kill Jesus. To take him out of the picture. But as we read from Matthew... He will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You cannot stop the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is unstoppable. And so what does the unstoppable God do in this situation where Herod is going to try to kill Jesus? Again, God is the provider in verse 13. What's he say? When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. God warned them in a dream of Herod's plans. You can't thwart God's plans, his agenda. He is faithful. And so after Herod realizes they had evaded him, he orders the death of every child in Bethlehem below the age of two. It's a boy. Read with me verse 16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in its vicinity who were two years old and under. Herod was doing all he could to stop God's plan. Herod is doing all he can to stop Jesus. But here's the thing, King Herod, he doesn't understand who he is dealing with. He doesn't understand who this baby is. He doesn't understand who this child is. That he is the King of Kings, that he is the Lord of Lords, that he is Emmanuel, 
God with us, that he is God and God has put skin on the Messiah. I love what David says in Psalms about God's plan. It's encouraging when sometimes we just wonder what is happening. Psalms 33:11 says this, but the plans of the Lord stand forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Let's read that again. But the plans of the Lord stand forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. You can try to take Christ out of Christmas. They can try to take him out of schools, out of the pledge. They can say, don't say Merry Christmas all they want, but you will not stop God's plan. He always wins. And if you're not on his team, you will find yourself on a losing one. So years later, after Jesus is born and then he dies, Paul writes in Acts. And Paul writes about God's plan and how God's plan is not an accident, not, how it's not just a, a last minute thing. And he says, well, I better do this or that. No. In Acts 2 verse 22, it says this, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you, don't miss this, by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Paul says the only reason Jesus went to the cross, because of God's deliberate plan. The only reason Jesus was sent to earth was because of God's deliberate plan. This is not an accident. And what many intended for evil, God intended for good. What Herod was intended for evil, God was intending for good. Paul says it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. This world can say, don't say his name. Say happy holidays. But church, you can't stop him. It was his plan to come into this world through a virgin. It was for God's plan for Jesus to live 33 years and die so that you don't have to. So this morning, we're going to read the Christmas story in Luke 2 as you traditionally would. But as we read it this morning, I want you to read it with this framework and this mindset. As, you, as we read Luke 2, I want us to understand that this is God's deliberate plan. This isn't an accident. This is not God surprised or, or caught off guard, so I better send Jesus real quick. This was his plan to send his son to the earth to save us. Luke 2 starting in verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. 
This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from Nazareth to Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. God's deliberate plan. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. God's deliberate plan. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus. He was named Jesus. The name the angel had given him before he was conceived. God's deliberate, unstoppable plan a plan to save you and I by bringing his son into the world. And many try to run from his plan. Many try to stop his plan. But his plan will prevail. And some will say, I would never, I would never take Christ out of Christmas. But you have when Christ has become, when Christmas has become about everything else except him. Recently, somebody said to me, they knew that we were going to have Christmas falls on a Sunday this year. So they said to me, um, since Christmas falls on a Sunday, are y'all still going to have church that Sunday? It was all I could do to keep my mouth from saying it's too much. And I was like, really? Really? 
Yeah, we're going to have church on Christmas Sunday. We're going to come and worship our king. We're not canceling Christmas because a service because it's Christmas. What better day to come and celebrate our king? My kids can wait to open their presents whenever. They need to know what is most important. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, his presence coming down to us. We have got so off track that we would even think about doing anything on Christmas besides coming to worship our King. And parents, if your kids think that anything is more important than the King, then some things need to change in your household. If on Christmas morning they see immaterialism or anything else is more important than the King, Scripture actually says it'd be better to have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the depths of the sea. We got to keep our priorities straight. Christ must be the center of our life. He must be the center of our family's life. The reason we live and move and breathe. Paul explains it so beautifully in Acts 17, 24. He says this, the God who made the world, the God who made the world, church, and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times and histories and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far away from any one of us. And don't miss this next line. Verse 28, for in him, in Christ, church, we live we move, and we have our being. That's in your notes. For in him, in Christ, we live, and we move, and we have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. I want to read verse 28 one more time. For in him, church, in Christ, we live, we move, and we have our being. Is that your life? Do you live in him and move? Everything is it about him. Because it's all about him. It's, it's about this baby that came into the world 2,000 years ago. It's all about his will and his way and his plan for your life. 
And this world can say, it's not about him. And they can say, don't say his name. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So yes, there is a war on Christmas. It's a war on Christ. And if he is in you, there will be a war against you as well. But we stand firm and we stand faithful when we believe that Christ is Christmas. He is the reason, as that video said in the beginning, for the season. But when he comes the next time, church, he won't be a cute little innocent baby in a manger. He will be the king of kings, and he will be the lord of lords. It says he will separate, separate us as he separates sheep from the goats. And on that day, those who have received the free gift will be welcomed into his kingdom. We will see Emmanuel face to face. Not just his spirit inside of us, but we will dwell with him. And he will make all things new. And on that day, there will no longer be an empty seat at the Christmas table. There'll no longer be divorce, sickness, death, poverty, materialism, and stuff, and stuff, and stuff. I don't know about you, but I long for that day when all things are made new. And I pray that we are prepared for that day. I pray that we're preparing our family. I pray that we're preparing our children and those that we love, those that you're surrounded by, those that you work with every day. I pray that this season Christ will be the center of our life, not stuff. He talks about this day and how it's coming soon. Turn with me to Revelation 22, starting in verse 12. Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs and those who practice magic arts and the sexually immoral and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and the morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes to take the free what? Gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears these words of the prophecy of the scroll, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in the scroll. And if anyone takes words away from this scroll of the prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of the life and in the holy city which are described in this scroll. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen, come Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. On that day when he comes, 
he will be king. He will come to reign. He will come to rule. And it won't matter what cancel culture says. It won't matter if they say, don't say his name. Don't say Merry Christmas. He will be king. They can say, I'm not going to say his name. I'm not going to bow to him. I'm not going to read a, a storybook at the library about him. They can say that all they want. But on that day, Scripture tells us that every knee will bow. Philippians 2.9 says this, Therefore God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Verse 10 says, In the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everyone will bow on that day. But church, may we bow before him way before then. May our knees be sore because we've practiced so much. Church, he is worthy. As we close today, I'm going to, we're going to play a video. You've probably, we probably saw it before. You saw it maybe a couple years ago, but something kept telling me I was supposed to show this toward the end of my message because I believe that some of us today in this room need to be reminded who our king is. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him. My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His 
Pharisees couldn't stand him. But they couldn't stop him. Herod couldn't kill him. Tried with all his might. But he didn't realize that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is unstoppable. And that same King of Kings and Lord of Lords that we read about in the Word this morning is the same God that sent His Son to this world for you. It's the same one that wants to live inside of you, this morning wants to have a relationship with you. It's the same one that this season is about. And God, forgive us if this season, this world has become anything except about Him. Christ is Christmas. And I ask you this morning, do you know Him? Does your family know Him? Does your children know Him? Your grandchildren, do they know that He is the most important thing in your life? Do they know that you are surrendered to Him? Yes, there is a war on Christmas. But I've read the end of the book. And He wins. And because He wins us that are in Him, we are more than victorious through Christ Jesus. So this morning we stand firm. We stand faithful. We stand true to the Word of God. May we point people to the true meaning of Christmas. Today, maybe you have lost focus. Maybe you have been distracted by everything this world offers and materialism and shopping, whatever it might be. I encourage you this morning to align yourself with Him, to turn your focus to Him, your family's focus to Him, your kids' focus to Him in the midst of a season that's about everything else except Him. Today is the day to make things right with this King. He is worthy of all honor and glory and praise. Let's all stand as we have this time of invitation.